Hey everyone, my name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 16 of the show, where we are continuing our journey through the early days of Marvel. We are in January of 1963. The first week of January, actually, January 3rd, which saw the release of four comics, two of which we talked about last episode, and two of which we'll be talking about this episode, plus hopefully one or two others. (laughs) We're back to uh, the team of Lee and Kirby again, Fantastic Four, big number 13. And we're back. To, uh, this is kind of our, our home baby. Like, I feel like yeah. the Fantastic Four is the home base of the Marvel Universe at this point, which is really not true today, but I feel like it is here. So do you think, since we've, we're now into 13 issues and however many months we're into doing this, do you think of all the Marvel lineup that this is the world's greatest comic magazine currently? At least mm. in terms of Marvel's world? In terms of Marvel's world, yes. Yeah. Only because they don't realize how great Spider-Man is yet. Well, and he, you know, I didn't think Spider-Man number one was super great. I think mm-hmm. his his debut uh, in Amazing Fantasy was really great. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see. I assume Spider-Man will continue to get better and better as all those amazing villains he has start showing up. But And the Lee Kirby run on Fantastic Four gets better and better. Like it's, yeah, that's we have true. N- we have not hit the stride for this book yet. I mean, no. as, as much fun as we're having with these early Fantastic Four books, this is rough compared to like 30 through 60. Which is kind of awesome because I feel like they're getting better all the time. Like, yeah. I can't say I loved, loved the, you know, the first, I don't know, however many where they're constantly fighting and like in a bad way. Um, mm-hmm. I'm liking now how they're kind of gelling and talking to each other and being more like a space family. It's cool. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll, I'll confess something. I am not hating Strange Tales as much as I expected to. Strange Tales? Um, yeah. Now that they've, I don't know, was last issue the one where they got rid of his secret identity? Or was that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that that's gone, I'm hoping it just becomes more interesting than all that baggage. And maybe maybe the series gets worse as it goes along, and I'm just not remembering. But these early issues have not been as bad as I expected, and it seems like there's always something that's a little bit worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Fantastic Four number 13 is mine to uh, summarize when I'm sort of uh, feeling a little daunted by it because it's so huge. but uh, Or dense, anyway. A lot of story in this one, I feel like. But it's called The Red Ghost, and it features um, The Red Ghost. Again, Stanley, Jack Kirby, inked by Steve Ditko, which is kind of cool. Um, and it starts with Reed's lab exploding. And three out of four of the Fantastic Four members are looking around for Reed, all nervous, thinking he's dead. But he's fine. He's wearing some sort of, like, explosion-resistant outfit or something. And they're like, well, what were you doing? He's like, I was trying to create a new rocket fuel, and I got a little out of hand. Whoops, my bad. But I did it. Here is this limitless rocket fuel that I just invented and they're like, wow, how'd you do that? And then there's some, like, pseudoscience explanation. Like, um, he says something like he, he suspected that – now he's talking about Russians legit, where before it was always just kind of hinted. So it's like how the, how the Russians beat us into space is because they scraped an asteroid that landed in their area and did some stuff to it and created a whole new rocket fuel. I suspected that's what they did. So I went and found our own asteroid on American soil and scraped it and – I think he says something like he exposed to some sort of radiation. And now it's like magically this limitless fuel supply that he can use to get to the moon. So I'm going to go to the moon, fellas. See you later. And they all go like, no, no, you can't go without us. And he's like, no, no, last time you all went with me, 
I turned you to freaks and stuff. And then Ben like grabs him and pushes him, smushes him into like a little ball and throws him in a glass canister and says, yeah, you're not going without us. And Reed is like, okay, that's a good idea. So they all go together and they build this ship. Meanwhile, across the wall, uh, in Russia, or at least in the, behind the red curtain or whatever, there's a guy named either Igor or Ivan. I can't remember. And his last name is very Russian. And he's like a short. I think it's Ivan Kragoff. Ivan Krag. <laughs> okay, Ivan yeah, Kragoff. I, I just found. I just found on the pages. Ivan Ivan Kragoff. Ivan Kragoff is like uh, training what he calls his apes. Though I would argue that only two are apes and one's a monkey. But we can get into that. Um, but he's got a gorilla that he's trained to like pilot spaceships. He's got a baboon that he's trained to shoot guns and stuff. And he's got an orangutan that he's trained to like repair machinery and stuff. So those are going to be his crew members. And he too has decided he's going to go to the moon and be the first of, you know, glorious communism to like, you know, take over the moon. So they happen to both take off on the same day. You guys can't see me, but I'm pointing a finger of each hand up into the air because they are taking off at the same time. Um, and they're flying into space together and the Fantastic Four see uh, Kragoff's uh, ship and wonder, hey, what's that Russian ship doing over there? Because they could see like a Russian symbol on it. And Johnny decides it's a good time to test out Reed Richards' new like space suit that he made for Johnny. So it's like still breathable. He can still flame on and stuff, but he can do it in the vacuum of space so he jumps out and he flies over there oh i missed the whole spot the whole point of why kragoff was going to the moon is not just to claim the moon for russia or communism but because he wants to redo the cosmic accident that created the fantastic four so he's designed his ship to be like transparent and just accept all cosmic rays and just flood himself so as he's flying up there he's strapped onto this table and he's getting zapped and all his ape monkeys are getting zapped and everybody's zapped and then he wakes up and he sees that nothing's really happened and no one's changed and he's wondering why when the human torch just happens to fly by and the gorilla freaks out and picks up like this two-ton engine or something or piece of equipment and and Kragoff's like, whoa, okay, well, he has powers, but I don't want him to throw that piece of equipment through the wall. So he picks up a gun and says, put that down, you stupid ape. But it's not really a gun. It's the baboon because he's now a shape changer. So, whoa, he has powers too. And then the orangutan points at Johnny through the window and shoots magnetism out of his or her paw or you know hand or whatever. And it like repels Johnny because that's how magnetism works. And he goes flying back to the uh, – Fantastic Four's spaceship just in time to lose his, you know, flame and all that stuff. And so three out of four of them have powers. And, and Kragoff's like, well, what about me? Right. But anyway, they all land and the Fantastic Four are kind of exploring around. Oh, they land in what appears to be like this abandoned city. So the whole time, I guess, the moon has always had this city or something. And that, that explains why it's blue, I guess someone says. Um, and so they're kind of exploring all that. And they are faster than the thing because, you know, Reed can stretch and... I don't know. I guess Sue and Johnny are flying around or something. Anyway, he ends up getting lost behind and he's like complaining about it. But just as he's trying to catch up, he gets attacked by the two apes and the monkey. And then also uh, Kragoff, who now calls himself the Red Ghost because he figured out what his powers are, which is that he can turn invisible and transparent and he can like go through walls and things. You know, nothing can really touch him. I don't know if he's invisible, but when he's transparent, he looks invisible. Um, and they're fighting and stuff. But all of a sudden, the apes and the monkey 
and everybody gets put in this like shield bubble and flown into the air and they're standing there in space is this huge like man in a toga outfit with a big bald head and he says i am the watcher and everybody goes what who are you and he says i come from a planet full of like a robot planet or planet with like lots of machinery or something like that we're really evolved and my race goes throughout the universe watching things but not interfering and i've been watching earth and i've seen a lot of war and a lot of races that fight each other until they destroy their planet and you guys are on that same path and that's fine but now you've brought that to my doorstep because i live here saying i'm not going to let that happen so you two are going to fight it out and whoever's the winner is the winner and gets to go home i guess um but before that and then he disappears so then they have to fight before that can happen like reed pulls thing out of the uh fight on accident sort of he's just like using his hand to stretch around and feel for the thing i guess and he like pulls him back to them um so they can all regroup and things like you guys will not believe what happened i fought these an ape an ape a monkey a russian who can turn intangible and wait till i tell you about the watcher right so he does all these things and then they're like well i guess we have to fight because that's what the watcher wants even though reed sort of wants to not fight and they find him and they try and fight but pretty much the Fantastic Four get their butts kicked, and Ivan and his gorillas and ape or his ape apes and monkey like steal Invisible Woman and go down this corridor. <sighs> this is where it gets funky for me. And then Reed like invents on the fly this like thing that can make the thing and Human Torch travel down the corridor really fast. But he stays behind so he can work on an invention. Anyway, meanwhile. While Sue's waiting to be rescued, he puts Sue in like this cage that's got an energy shield. And behind that energy shield is his super apes who he tells Sue that he leaves hungry because the hungrier they are, the better he can mind control them. I guess he mind controls them now. So that's like another part of his power. So that's not very nice. But he leaves and she decides, well, I'm not just going to sit around here. This is an energy shield. It must have electricity coming from somewhere. So she finds the panel and she just unplugs it, I guess. And it opens up. And the super apes also get out, but there's like food that he left there to torture them with. So they eat the food and they're like happy that Sue let them out so they don't kill her or anything. And then Johnny and Thing show up to help fight Ivan. And Johnny's like, you might turn intangible, but if I heat the air around you, it still makes you hot. And he's like, egads, that's true. And he tries to run away and hide in the Watcher's building, but the Watcher just like flicks him out like a flea. And just as he's doing that, and he's like, bumping across the the way on his butt like here comes reed with his invention which is some sort of like stasis gun thing that he created so it locks the red ghost in place and he can't get out and then the watcher shows up and says good job you win i'll promise not to interfere but no matter what you humans do for the rest of your life know that someone creepy is watching you and as he's explaining that to reed like the red ghost tries to get away but the monkey or the apes like take Reed's invention and use it against the Red Ghost because they're mad that he's always making them hungry and they take him away off to, I guess, kill him or something like that. And the Fantastic Four are like, whoa, would it want to be the Red Ghost? And then they go home. Yeah, you said you were starting to lose it, but you were still hitting all the beats. Okay. Um, only one, only a couple of minor things. Well, one really, and that's that he's not mind controlling the apes. Oh. He's just using the food torture as a way of getting them to obey him. Okay. 
Yeah, that, so, that was weird about that because it seemed like how did they even know what he wanted half the time? He never actually says. What does he say? He talks to them in English and expects them to obey. And The more they obey me. I guess that is all he said. Yeah. I don't know why I went with mind control there other than it just seemed like he, he was specifically trained them to do astronaut tasks in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then they didn't do any of those tasks. Like the orangutan didn't fix anything and the baboon didn't shoot anything and the gorilla didn't pilot anything. But now they're like fighting the Fantastic Four like they're all in unison and stuff. And I couldn't figure out like how that was going. And I don't think that those tasks really fit into their superpowers. Like, I don't think there's any sort of, like, metaphorical parallel. No. Except that the baboon likes to turn to a gun. Right. But that was about it. Yeah. So, um, you know, those out there in listener land, there is, of course, another podcast out there that is devoted to the Fantastic Four. It's Mm -hmm. called The Fantastic Cast and is hosted by our friends Stephen Lacey and Andrew Leyland. Mm -hmm. And... um, Every time I think about this issue and these villains, I think of Stephen Lacey saying, the red ghost and his stupid, stupid apes. (laughs) Well, isn't the red ghost ultimately a fairly prominent Fantastic Four villain? I think so. I I don't really know how prominent, but I get the impression that this guy, you know, he comes back a lot. Yeah. With his apes. Well, I mean, the thing is, people like apes. So yeah, in the sixties were a big time for apes and right. gorilla suits, and and you know, nineteen sixty eight, you have the Planet of the Apes, and oh, that's true too. Yeah, but I mean, even now, it's like people like to have URLs with the word monkey or apes in it or something like that, and everybody mm-hmm. likes everybody likes when artists draw apes and stuff. So it's like it's a cool visual. This like short little Russian guy surrounded by these three apes that do his bidding. I guess I I really like the cover on this one. We don't always talk about covers, but the cover is actually oh, yeah. rather fantastic. It totally they're is. They're on the yeah. moon. They're looking around. The Earth is in the background, mm-hmm. and this huge—it's a foreground arm. You could just read it as this really huge ghostly arm mm-hmm. that's coming out of the ground, and Sue sees it and is freaking out. Yeah, and then there's also that little caption of you know the most dramatic being of all time, the mysterious watcher. So it's just a very uh, compelling. Issue to want to open. Um, now that we are introducing the Watcher, I feel like I should make a confession. Okay. So, you know, Mike, you and I are doing this podcast going through the early Marvel Universe, and I have wanted to do a similar podcasting mission for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and about a year ago, I actually sat down and did some, started doing some concerted reading and note taking, and um, even did a little bit of recording of what was going to be the Marvel Saga podcast. And you can find the bare bones of this at Marvel Saga in Twitter, but it was going to be um, it was going to be a character. I was going to be doing a bit oh. the entire time, and so uh, I was going to be I was going to be Roger the Watcher. You know, he uh, <laughs> Roger the Watcher. You know, I live in the pink area of the moon, which is which is kind of out behind the blue area of the moon. Like like my old buddy Uwatu, bless his soul, he used to live. In the blue area, and that's the one that gets all the press. But I'm in the pink area; it's a bit farther back. You know what I mean? And you know, I've been watching you humans for a long time because I'm a watcher. You know, I'm I'm the watcher. I'm Roger the Watcher. And uh, and I was gonna you know talk about superhero history, yeah. with a bit of a comedic bent. It never went anywhere. But um, <laughs> well, dang man, you should have proposed that. We could have done a could have done a. Uh, Routine or something. Oh, well. Something. I don't know. But yeah, so that's that's a thing that almost happened. Um, 
But I even took some of the blue area of the moon art and had my uh, asked my mother in law to go over it with Photoshop and turn all the blue hues into pink hues. Oh and, God. Um, anyways, so but the Watcher, um, that's cool. The Watcher already. is the best part of this issue for sure. I'm kind of amazed he's that he's really happened already. Cool look. Yeah, it's it's really early, and you know we associate him so strongly with issue fifty. And 48 and 49 leading into the right, Dodger story. Right, right. And that's that's a long ways away. Yeah. In fact, I thought maybe that was his debut. Yeah. I mean, if huh. you think about 13 to 48, that's that's three years of comics from now. I was, that's a long ways away. But when I was um, reading him, I thought immediately, oh, this is the Gorn episode. But then I realized this is well before 1968. So Yes. So, But it has a lot of similarities, it seems like, this omnipotent being who's like, we don't want you fighting in my back in our backyard, so two of you can fight. Although in this case, everybody's allowed to fight. But you know, kind of had that idea. Like I don't really know exactly. I, I that was one of my weaknesses of the summary, maybe, or he just didn't specify. But like, what happens when somebody wins? Like they get to go home, right? It's not really specified, but you're right that this does have a very Star Trek feel to it. Yeah. Um. Also, on a side note, this is the last issue story to be divided up into parts. Oh, really? Yeah. In fact, Marvel doesn't do this anymore after this, except, you know, an occasional off things. I was never really sure what the point was, because it was still always the same story. But I guess it's cool to get a a splash page every 10 pages. That's kind of neat. And the the shorter stories did it for a while, too, which is why Amazing Spider-Man 1 had parts Mm -hmm. in the opening story, because that thing was formatted for... You know, several months earlier release, but the short stories stopped doing it pretty quickly. And the long stories, I mean, Fantastic Four was the only one doing it because Fantastic Four is the only full book, full length book we had since Hulk couldn't figure out whether he was parts or not. <laughs> whether he was right, like right. Yeah. Smaller stories. Yeah, that's or not. true. We've left, I guess we're still at, at two full stories now because Spider Man's here. Spider Man's back. And issue two has two smaller stories. Not in parts, and issue three is full length, not in parts. Okay. <clears throat> um, but anyways, so this story sort of is inspired, you know, as far as plot device triggers go by the space race. Mm-hmm. And if you look up like a list of firsts in the space race up to this point, that list does tend to be dominated a bit by Soviet achievements. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if there's any basis in Reed's statement that their powerful rockets were the reason for it or that they got their fuel from a strange meteoroid. But yeah, that seemed odd. Like, the only reason they're winning is because they figured out limitless energy. So we're going to do it, too. Yeah, that's very science, you know, fictional, obviously. I don't think anybody actually believed that, right? I hope not. I don't know, Kids, though. Yeah, maybe. Don't trust your comics. They lie. Right? But there's also, like, the – I don't know how prevalent this really was – but the idea of having, you know, apes sent up into space or other animals. So it kind of makes sense that Mr. Uh, Red Ghost has ended up having like ape sidekicks because the whole point was he was trying to get up into space too. Yeah, I don't know if – yeah, I don't know how much we actually sent test animals. I don't up either. Sp- that's, that's one of those stereotypes, one of those right. tropes. But how often do we actually do that? I don't know. But fiction, fictionally, it seems like we do it often. So. And Jorel sent crypto. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so there's all that, too. And also, I wondered if, you know, he said he was trying to recreate the Fantastic Four's origin. I mean, does that mean he purposely made sure there were four people or four Mm -hmm. entities in his ship? And he didn't. I feel like that was intentional. And he didn't want to share power, maybe, with other humans, so he just picked slave animals? I don't know. 
I feel it's a bit silly on his part, but it is intentional. Yeah, I mean, a gorilla. Which means this is, of course, another commie bastard story. A gorilla could kill you without being super powerful, so. Right? Gorillas are big, and they are strong. Actually, That's why Planet of the Apes is so scary. All three of those species could kill us without being super powerful. <laughs> no problem. Um, when Reed is laying out the plan, he says, and I'm going to go here. To the mysterious blue area of the moon. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like we should know that there is a mysterious blue area of the moon. It did. But. There isn't. I'm pretty sure that's just invented. Yeah, because once, you he, once he gets up there, he's like, ah, this is why it was blue. Right. There's a, there's a city up here. Do you remember the Star Trek The Next Generation episode? I think it was called Survivors, where they go to the planet and the whole thing is a storm. It's all like a chaotic storm. Mm -hmm. But there's this one rectangular patch of green. Yes. And there's the old couple there. Uh-huh. And they keep on going back and they the the like the, the old man dies and he's back again, he dies, and maybe the woman dies. I forget who what. Anyways, that's how I picture the blue area. Like you're you're flying over the moon and suddenly, oh look, there's this blue rectangle. <laughs> yeah. And it has oxygen. Right. Um does it I wonder if I'm sure. At some point, this will be retconned into a, being a place that we know who lived oh, who lived yeah. here. Yes, it doesn't the say blue now. area is totally fleshed out in background. I can actually give you some of the highlights of it. Um, this is basically the flashpoint of the Kree Scroll War. Oh, not the Kree Scroll War Avengers story, but the Kree Scroll War. That's the conflict between the two that's lasted for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. This was a Kree base that the Scrolls had made. Wow. And um, through some story developments that, you know, take long to get into, um, it ended up being a sore spot between them, and they ended up going to war over the events here. Wow. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And, and the Inhumans will later come and live here in the Blue Area of the Moon, and they only exist because of Kree meddling in the human race. So it's kind of a, a cool little bookend to the history of the Blue Area, because the Krees started out there, and the Inhumans show up there. So it's pretty cool. So I love all this. Um, I love this, all this business with the Fantastic Four landing here, finding this ancient city that's abandoned and just, hey, there's air and they're walking around and Reed's stretching super tall to like check things out. And it's like this to me is the Fantastic Four. This is far more interesting as of a Fantastic Four read than, or than like, uh, you know, just the, the bad guy of the week kind of thing. I like when they do their, ex are going out exploring? do their explorations and their sci-fi stories and their yeah little zaniness. As, as silly as the Red Skull, or the Red Skull, ha! Huh? The Red Ghost and his apes are, this is very sci-fi, and this is very Fantastic Four. Mm -hmm. I think it helps because the Watcher's involved. Mm -hmm. uh, the story itself is definitely improved by his presence. Because he, he does have some interesting things to say about us being dumb, mm -hmm. you know? And here we have, you know, Red Ghost, and we have the Americans, Fantastic Four, and they are... You know, this is like a microcosmic version of what's going on on the planet Earth at the moment, and the watchers. Yeah, because this is this is yeah Cold War and right, and the watchers, watchers telling us that we're all gonna kill each other, just like he's seen countless times before. Right, don't do that. Don't don't kill each other, mm -hmm. and don't elect an orange clown. And then even like a couple pages later, I like that Reed is kind of like, you know, why should we battle when we could just all be happy that we we discovered the moon together. Mm -hmm. You know, and of course, nobody else is on board with that because, you know, he's evil and we should kill him or whatever. <laughs> but I like that at least one out of the four of them toyed with the idea of like trying to broker peace of some kind. And I love the I love the panel. I'm on page 14, mm -hmm. which may be a little bit farther than your 
but we've passed the introduction of the watcher and he's talking about their life. And, um, the thing was the only one who saw it. Like the rest of the four didn't see it. So he goes back to them and it's on page 14. It's the second row. And he's like, this house is nothing. Wait to see the watcher himself. I know, right? He can do anything. Yeah. And the way he's posed there, it's like the, the aliens meme. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's aliens, <laughs> but it's aliens. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. It's interesting that he's the only one who saw it and they all buy it too. I think mm-hmm. I feel like if this was Fantastic Four number two, they'd all call him a liar and an idiot, and he'd punch everybody and stuff. But instead, it's it's a cohesive unit now. And I like I like the idea of the Watcher. Just like they they go to his house mm-hmm. and they're looking around, and suddenly the Watcher just fades into view. Mm-hmm. He goes warble, warble, warble on his screen, and then whoosh, the FF are caught up in a whirlpool and taken out. Yeah, into this Is that, this dead city. Right. They don't even know what's going on, but suddenly whoosh, they're 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 gone. Um, okay. This is obviously a bit of a propaganda comic because it's Americans versus Russians and everything. Uh-huh. But on page 15, I part know. four, Duel yeah. in the Dead City. I know. Um, Ben, nobody is strong enough to defeat a free people. Don't ever forget that. And by the way, that's, and I'm like, that's one panel after the one I just said that I liked where Reed is trying to... <laughs> make peace so it's like right which which one are you preaching at us here marvel like i don't know also lots of free people have been beaten that's how they became not free yeah well that's something i could have i could imagine thing would have believed though because you know he's like Maybe. probably a military man he was he well was actually we do pilot. know he was a military man yeah right that's right um and he's just one of those kind of guys i don't know uh, this dead city does become a frequent Phoenix battleground. Like once they do that one issue of the dark Phoenix saga, like lots of other Phoenix fights happen in this blue mm. area. So it's a thought. I recognize this place. Yeah. Do, do you go ahead? No, I was going to say, what do you think? What do you actually think of the apes? Um, well, you know, I like apes too. I think it's kind of cool that he's, it's better that he has them than he, than it's just him being intangible all the time. That would be kind of boring. Because he has yeah. he has no way of striking back either. He just stands there laughing as they punch him. Right? Um, I don't know. Like, I guess my only major problem with them is how, like, uh, you know, I don't get the whole training and them turning on him. I think it would be cooler if it was mind control, but apparently I made that up in my own brain to explain things. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Like, apes with powers is cool. I don't know that they came off super cool in this issue. I have a feeling. They'll be more interesting later, maybe, or maybe not. Yeah. I don't I don't know. Their powers are kinda like obviously a strong gorilla is awesome. I don't know about a shape shifting baboon, that's sort of wonky. And then the magnetism that can make Sue Storm attached to the back of an orangutan seems odd. But And I don't even think it's actually magnetism. Oh, the only thing he moves in this story is bodies. Mm-hmm. I think you just move. I think just, it's not magnetism. It's like fleshitism. You can just move I, I, bodies. Or, or he's got telekinesis and they don't realize that's what it is or something. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I don't know. They're okay. I honestly think the watcher and the location is the most interesting thing about the story more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There are other things I could, like I wrote down a few little comments here and there, but nothing that's really of any import. Right. Um, Sue thinks on page 19, Third panel, she says, "I it's I could turn invisible, try to grieve these apes, but they'd probably smell me." And I was like, I, "I'm pretty sure the apes' sense of smell is not that different to humans." Yeah, but okay, maybe she doesn't know that. Yeah, 
So the, the, the length of your nose is very important so for sense So a baboon smell. isn't an ape, right? I don't know. I think it's not. We said it, you said you think it's a monkey, and it has a tail. It has a tail. And I was I was internalized. One of the big distinguishing characteristics between the ape and monkey categories was tails. Right. I mean, I'm talking greater apes anyway. Maybe it's like a lesser ape or something. Aren't there different types of apes? I don't know. Wikipedia says that baboons are old world monkeys. Hey, all right. So it's not an ape. So stupid Ivan the Krogoff or whatever his name is. Yep. They're only found natively in very specific areas of Africa and the Arabian Peninsula. So that's sad that this guy's name is uh, the Red Ghost, and it's usually the Red Ghost and his super apes. Mm-hmm. And one of them is not even an ape, like, this entire time, and they'll never change that title. Ever. Ever. Because you can't. Red Ghost and his super apes and the monkey. Right. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the X-Men, but Gene's not a man. Yeah. Well, yeah, mankind, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Good point. X-People. Right. X-Hominoids. X, um... Or, or, or the uh, Red Ghost and his super... Right. Somethings. <laughs> X, Red Ghost and his, and his super animals. Super animals. <laughs> but a human's an animal, too. Shut up. Never mind. I give up. Right, right. And the Red Ghost, like, the Red Ghost is one of the... There are a few characters whose names are specifically tied to the Cold War. Yeah. And the Red Ghost is one of them. Yeah. It's it's just kind of funny. And, and you know, later on, it won't even matter that it was Cold War. He's just, he's the Red Ghost. That's what he is. Yeah, I guess you can always be a communist, even though, even in Russia now, that's not a thing. But uh, he can't be linked to this war after a while, because then he'll have been ancient. Mm-hmm. So... Um, page 21, the watcher sends Krag off to limbo for a moment. And I was reading it. I was wondering if that kicked the space phantom out of limbo for a moment. We haven't gotten to the space phantom yet. So never mind. Oh, tell Kurt Busiek that. Um, I'm sure he'll write that story. Yeah. You're right. And my last note is on the very last page. So do you have any other thoughts on this? No, not really. What is it? Um, so on the last page, last panel, uh-huh. the caption says, unbeknown to our four weary friends, they are heading into a still more fantastic adventure, for they're about to again cross the paths of two of the most dangerous foes they've ever faced, the Submariner and the Puppet Master. Yeah. And that could just be regular chatter for whatever, except that they are directly heading into that adventure because the next issue picks up immediately after this one. Hmm. Um, this is this is one of the this may be the first time that we have a story that leads directly into another story, unless you want to link Amazing Fantasy fifteen and Amazing Spider Man number one. Yeah, which we could do easily, it, or we kind of theorized that Hulk one and two were one right after the other, but we weren't sure. Right, uh, and but but in in the beginning of the next issue, they are on this ship. Okay, back for Earth. So literally. Yeah, even yeah. even Amazing Spider-Man wasn't literal because there was a lot of flashbacky stuff first. Um, mm-hmm. I like that. It, I thought you were going to comment that his their most dangerous foe is the Puppet Master because I guess they're only thirteen issues <laughs> in, so they don't have a lot to pick from. But that probably won't be the case after a while. Right. All right. You ready to move on? Yeah. What's next? Ooh, I like this one. But I don't, well, it looks like we are shrinking down. Shrinking down. Yeah. We to are. the Ant-Man? To the Ant-Man. I get it. It took a while, but Tales I get it. Tales to Astonish. Yeah. Yeah. You there now? Number 42. Tales to Astonish 42. Even Ant-Man could not resist the evil spell of the man with the voice of doom. Insert echo here. Doom, doom, doom. 
There you go. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. You have this guy, this big bearded guy. I think his name is given as Jason Craig. He used to work in radio announcing and he was terrible at it. So they fired him and he somehow got zapped by a radioactive microphone or something. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. <laughs> and he got the power that whenever he says something, people believe him. Right. So he realized that he could just like make people do what he wanted. Yeah. You don't you don't you don't want to um, shoot me. You want to give me all of the money in the vault, right? Well, sure, I'll give you all the money in the vault. These are not the droids you're looking for. I don't even know what droids are. So um, he has used this power, and now uh, what has happened is he is going through his life, and he sees that the Ant-Man is getting lots of respect and lots of, you know, fame, and he's like, psh, stupid Ant-Man. I want to tell everyone that Ant-Man is stupid, and they're going to believe me. Mm-hmm. So he does. He sets up a soapbox <laughs> in town. Now, he's dressed... Like old school, like 50 or 100 years earlier type of politician. When you actually did set a soapbox up in the town square and start preaching at people about your political positions. Like that. Try doing that nowadays. That guy in Peace Dragon who sells the fake medicine. That's what he looks like. That guy. I don't don't remember what his name was, but that's what I think of. He's like, hey, everyone, Ant-Man is stupid. Like, whoa, it makes so much sense now. Ant-Man really is stupid. We should just hate him. And um, so Ant-Man's like, I'm not stupid. I'm watching all the people think that I'm stupid and I'm not. Why isn't it? It's effect, His voice is affecting them. It's not affecting me. Why is it not affecting me? Oh, wait. I have this helmet on. Must be messing with the sound. So then he's like, hey, everyone, go find the Ant-Man. Ant-Man's like, oh, wait, crap. They've got metal detectors and magnets. They're totally going to find me. So um, I'm going to take off my helmet and my gas vials that are empty so he can't use them. That's good. Um, and I'm going to crawl away. And they find the helmet and the gas vials. Like, we don't find the ant We just found this itty-bitty helmet. Like, it's from a Lego guy. And the voice guy is like, oh, that means he can hear me now. Ant-Man, wherever you are, come out, come out. And Ant-Man's like... Uh, I don't want to obey, but I, I, I got to, I, I got to obey. So he walks out and um, the, uh, the voice of doom guy is like, okay, Ant-Man, kill yourself. This is, this is really dark, really fast. He's like, <laughs> walk off the pier. Don't even try to swim. You're dead. All right. It's death time for you, Ant-Man. And he does it. He walks off the pier and he, he falls into the water and he's not swimming. But guess who was watching? Guess, Mike. Guess who was watching? Cockroaches. This, this is not the cockroach oh. comic. That's, <laughs> this is the Ant-Man comic. And the ants were watching. They're like, oh, our friend the Ant-Man is being forced to kill himself. We, we got to save him. So they make like, I don't know, like, like an ant chain into the water and they save Ant-Man and pull him out. And he's like, whew, all better now. Better go home and try to figure out how to beat this guy. So he goes home and he figures out how to beat that guy. So he takes um, a special spray bottle of something, I think. And he goes to a um, a big event where Craig is going to be talking to a microphone to a huge crowd of people. Uh, and transmitting, is it a crowd of people or tra- a transmission? Maybe it's a transmission. 
Both. Anyway, he goes up to the crag and says, all right, I'm Ant-Man. I'm about to kill you unless you do what I say. I need you to say into the microphone that Ant-Man is not stupid. And Jason Craig mentally thinks, okay, I can, I can say this. Whatever he's threatening to do to me, he won't do it. And I can just get him back right away after that. So that, that's fine. That's cool. All right, everybody. Ant-Man is not stupid. I was just kidding. He's actually pretty cool. I like the way his metal helmet has little things on it that talk to the ants. It's great. Love the Ant-Man. And Ant-Man's like, thanks. And he sprays the microphone. And the microphone has herpes. No, it's not herpes. <laughs> it's um, laryngitis microbes. Yeah. So they creep into his body and creep into his throat. And he gets a sore throat. He cannot talk. And um, so he has undone his stupid Ant-Man uh, charm. And now everyone's like, oh, yeah, Ant-Man's not stupid. We love Ant-Man. Which now they're going to love Ant-Man forever because they were told to by this voice. But that's beside the point. Hmm. Um, and yeah, he goes, does he get arrested? I think he gets arrested. He might not uh, get arrested. He gets tarred and feathered. Okay. They all turn on him. And and yeah, so Ant-Man goes about his life. The crag, uh, the voice has to go by his life. And that's the end. Yeah. Man, let me say first and foremost what I love about this issue. Yeah. And that is Don Heck. Because yes. I think the art is really, really good on this story. It is really solid. Like, I liked him last issue, too, with the, you know, the dimensional story that I thought was kind of weird for Ant-Man. But, like, this one's way better. Even better. I'm, I'm, And this is, this is much more of an Ant-Man story. Like, where Thor and maybe Hulk weren't improved by Kirby leaving, I think, I think like, I'm enjoying Ant-Man leaps and bound more now that Kirby's gone, I'm sad to say. Because uh, Don Heck, like, does a great job. On this ish, on this story, yeah, and he gets perspective art good, like mm-hmm. the opening splash where you have the little bitty Ant Man in the foreground and the mm-hmm. big voice of Doom guy in the background. It's pretty great. He's just got a more um, like I don't know how to explain the style, but like a more Neil Adamsy kind of style where it's more realism, more like more like if you were to draw maybe like people in a 1950s ad or something like that. Um, you know, more proportional. I was actually thinking that like around this time they have DC doing uh, the Atom. Mm-hmm. And Adam's being drawn by Gil Kane, who also is kind of this Ooh. this style, or not exactly yeah. the same, but more like less Kirby, more anatic, an anatomically correct style or something. I'm not sure. Less action driven, more drama driven. Right. Different layouts and stuff. So I'm wondering if it was a purposeful move to put Don Heck on this to try and compete with their own short stack, or if it just was coincidental. But it's really working. That's that's a worthwhile point. I like it. Um yeah, I, I liked the art in this too. The, the the voice of Doom. I mean, he's he seems to be like a parody of politicians, like not of any particular type of politician or any particular party, but just like politicians in general. Yeah, and, um, and it's a cool. I mean, despite the origin, which you weren't sure about, but you're literally right. He was holding. He hadn't been fired. He was doing a news commercial or something, and I can't remember how. Uh, radioactivity is getting too high. Quick, turn off the switch. And like they do it, but not in time. And the microphone that he's using has some crazy billion to one accident and radio through the power lines of something. Yeah, I see it now. Yeah. So the atomic experimental laboratory messes up the power grid. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. It's, it's, but that aside, I do think it's a cool power, a very dramatically cool evil power. I mean, Purple Man will eventually 
Exactly. Be this, this guy. This is what Metal Master was to Magneto. This guy is to the Purple Man. I mean, that's why Jessica Jones season one is so amazing and why I haven't got through Jessica Jones season two because there's no Purple Man in it. You know, Purple Man is cool. It's a cool power. It's actually a power, even though he's a bad guy and he could do really bad things with it, like worse things than they do in comics because comics have to be like, you know, kid appropriate. Right. But you immediately start thinking that's like one of the few villainy powers where you kind of want that power for yourself. Like that's a cool power fantasy. Mm -hmm. This idea that you could just say something and they would willingly do what you tell them. Right. It definitely feeds into like, you know, baser common human mentality yeah yeah um and the purple man it takes 30 years for him to become like that and i've actually heard people complain that they don't like that purple man got so dark and gritty because you know having a quirky character who can make you do whatever he wants is more fun and i I guess maybe i can understand that but man if you have the power to make people do what you want them to do Mm -hmm. and you're a jerk already and you're already a jerk right then yeah um so, a few notes of continuity. Um, there was a caption that he is in Center City. Oh. Not in New York. Hmm. I feel like we've actually said he's in New York before, but I could be wrong. Um, but it's on page four, panel four, oh, the wow. very end of the flashback. When passing, when Craig had me passing through Center City, home of the Ant-Man. Oh, I don't like that. So. Don't be DC. Maybe we're not in New York, or, or maybe we are in New York, but we don't know it. Or, yeah, is Center City like a suburb of New York that I don't know about? But I doubt it. But mm-hmm. I do think it's cool that, like, just on your average day in Center City, you're going to see their amazing hero, the Ant-Man, taking out people. Right. It's pretty great. His motivation's pretty lame. Like, I don't get – I guess he's just a jealous person because uh, he, 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 he can have it all already. Mm-hmm. So, like, why does he go out of his way necessarily? Like, oh, I can't let them like – ant-man better than they like me even though they'll totally like you better if you just say hey like me better than ant-man he he feels like it's a it's a measuring stick problem if he can defeat the ant-man he can defeat anyone so he's got to test himself against the ant-man right but yeah it's a a weak motivation kind of yeah and i want to know why ant-man went into action without a dose of enlarging gas why is he even carrying the canisters he's already used the shrinking gas and he doesn't have any enlarging gas with him Interesting, yeah. Yeah, because he never goes home at this point. Yeah. But I love all the – ah, again, with the art, I love this whole business with like where they're doing the search party thing. Mm-hmm. And he's hiding in these huge blades of grass from his perspective. And, you know, he has to – oh, they've just got him quartered. It's very dramatic. They got to like – he's got to take his helmet off because of the magnet uh, – you know, what do you call those thingies? Uh, <sighs> Magnets. Magnet detectors. Or yeah, the metal detectors. metal detectors and stuff. So he has to take his helmet off, but then he doesn't want to listen. So he's covering his ears and desperately trying not to do what he's told. And it's just, it's really and intense. Fingers pick him up. We've got the the Ant Man in yeah. your hand in front of your eye shot. Yeah, that's a fantastic image. It's really cool. Like I'm of the belief that, um, you know, as comics are a graphic medium, I am much more inclined to like a, a issue when the story's bad but the graphics are good versus the other way around. Like, you can mm-hmm. have the most amazing story, but if it's drawn poorly, I don't really like it. Um, and if, especially if the art is hard to read. Yeah. I, I've run across people who don't feel that way, who think it doesn't matter as long as the story is good. And I always think, well, then just read a book because, you know, what's the point? <laughs> you know, aren't you supposed to be enjoying the pictures? So, you know, in this case, I feel like the art is really making up the good majority of my joy for this issue. But I did enjoy it. 
I think if you just told me the story without me seeing any of this, I probably would have went, huh, that sounds kind of stupid, but, but, but they, yeah. but they made it work. Any other thoughts? Uh, no, I mean, I don't know. Can you, can you put laryngitis on a microphone? Is that how that works? I don't know. I don't know anything about I laryngitis. I guess you could have the microbes in a solution of some kind. It, it seems unlikely, but. For some reason, I always uh, thought laryngitis was more like you straining your throat. Is or is it an actual virus? I think it was actually microbes that cause a disease that includes laryngitis. I don't know. I don't know either. Like, we could just say he gave him strep throat. Okay, that's true. But then he'll get over it. Well, that's the thing is he does get over it. You'd think. Because he actually comes back. Uh-huh. He goes after the West Coast Avengers in issue 36 from the 80s. Oh, he says, I forgot he said this. He says, and even if I regain my voice, the chances are a million to one against it ever again having the same hypnotic quality. Because for some reason he knows that. Right. But, uh, yeah. He, he comes back with a, with a costume and everything, and he's oh, called The Voice. The Voice? Oh, I'm going to have to look that up. See, there's another villain where they don't start out with a costume. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting that they keep doing this. Like, how come they don't give the villains costumes? DC? It's kind of weird. DC can figure out to give their villains costumes, can't they? Our next villain doesn't have a costume, but he doesn't wear much of anything. Our next villain? Free. Let me see who that is. Uh, see who the, the Iron Man story. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. So do you want to move no, on the, to that? Uh, or... Well, the next Ant-Man story is actually the last solo Ant-Man story. Oh, and then we get the Wasp. Then we get the Wasp. Spoilers, but yeah, that'll be fun. I'm the looking forward wasp. to that. I'm, yeah, I'm ready to move on to uh, Iron Man if you are. Yeah, do we have time? Uh, should. Okay. I didn't look at the thing. So <laughs> let's just we're gonna, do it. Let's just do it, see what happens. And then that'll probably be Worst it. What happens is it turn us off, that'll right? That'll probably be it for this episode, I imagine. But um, Tales of Suspense, let's number see. 40, our second Iron Man story um, by... Stanley and Jack Kirby, right? No. Oh, no, it's not. Yes, yes. Is it Kirby? It's Robert Bernstein and Jack Kirby. What? This is not a Stanley <gasps> story. Well, he plotted it, it says. Yeah. But that's interesting. So of the three-step process, the plot, the art, the scripting, he didn't do the script. Yeah, which we kind of thought he hasn't been doing the script this entire time. So it's weird that they're suddenly calling him a plotter. But maybe he's doing even less than he was already. Um, well, I think, he's, I think he has scripted all these books. Well, define no, scripted because, again, the, the Marvel method, from my understanding, is him just like typing out this idea and then them going with it. Is that really? Well, the, the scripting is like once the art comes back, like one, oh. like they, they come up with a plot, e- either Jack Kirby's plot idea or Stanley's plot idea or they or however much they work on it. Um, Stanley types up the plot, goes to the artist, the artist draws it out, mm-hmm. and then it goes back to Stan right. to give them words to say. Okay. So yeah. he is not doing that third part anymore, at least not in this one. Okay. So Tales of Suspense, we're on January 10th now. Yes. 1963. Uh, Covered it in April of 1963. And oh, my turn. So let me think. Let me think. Okay. It starts out just kind of like reintroducing us to Tony. Tony is made up of three things, according to the story. He's a Playboy millionaire. And it shows him like gallivanting around doing that. And he is an inventor, in this case for the military. And it shows him like selling these, or I don't even know if he's selling or just giving them as an American citizen or something, but he's inventing these like rocket skates to give to the army, transistor powered rocket skates. And they're all excited. Cause Hey, we don't have to drive trucks anymore. We can just roller skate through <laughs> at 60 miles an hour <laughs> on skates. We'll look really That's tough. That's not then. dangerous. Yeah. 
here come the Americans on roller skates. I don't know why that image just makes me laugh. But anyway. <laughs> and then the third thing is, of course, he's Iron Man and it shows that he's had a few adventures since we last saw him fighting Wong Chu or Wang Chang or whatever his name was. Um, he's like taken out some mobsters. He, take, he took out a mad scientist and trashed all his stuff. Um, I think that was it. So then we cut to what's actually going on right now, which is Tony Stark on a date with his girl of the week. And they go to the circus. And inevitably, as in all comic book circus scenes, something bad happens. In this case, the cheetahs and tigers and lions, oh my, get out of uh, control. I was going to say they're prisons, but I'm not sure if they were in prison or just, you know, they stop they behaving, I guess. And they start attacking everybody. So the whole Iron Man kind of like – or Tony Stark kind of like helps usher everybody out, including his – new girl, and says, pulls a Clark Kent, and he's like, you know, I'll be right back. I'm going to go find a payphone and call the police. But what he's really doing is in his suitcase, he takes out his armor, which he's now been able to, like, I don't know exactly what it is, but some kind of folding process where, like, he can just scrunch it up and fit it into small places. So he expands it all and puts it on, and he's Iron Man again, the gray lumbering robot Iron Man from the first issue. Or the last issue, Tales of Suspense 39. Um, and he lumbers in there to mop up the, the uh, cats. But before he gets there, pretty much everybody freaks out when they see him. You know, the men cry out, good Lord. The women faint. Babies start crying. Like, nobody likes seeing Iron Man. And he's kind of taken aback. Like, wow, am I really that scary? I didn't realize. But anyway, he still helps out. And he takes out the cats pretty easily because he's Iron Man. And then... It, he turns back to Tony Stark and goes to meet up with his girl. And she's like, oh, you missed Iron Man. That was so crazy. He's like, yeah. She's like, he was really scary, though. And he's like, yeah. Um, Say, if you could talk to Iron Man, you know, just hypothetically, like, what would you suggest he do about that? And she's like, oh, well, if I could talk to Iron Man, hypothetically, um, I would suggest that since he's trying to be like – a knight in shining armor that maybe you should make – maybe you – I mean, Iron Man should make his armor shiny or something, like paint it gold. And then Tony's like, hey, that's a great idea. Maybe next time he'll be gold just randomly like that. That would be interesting, right? She's like, yeah. And then <laughs> they take him, take her to the airport and he's like, see you later, babe. I'll pick you up next week when you come back. She goes off to some city. While she's gone, he paints the armor gold. He does look cooler. It's pretty much the same armor, but now shiny and gold instead of gray and scary, I guess. Anyway, he goes back to the airport to pick her up. She's not there. So very much like Bruce Wayne, Tony Stark can't imagine the idea of someone standing him up. So there must be a problem. So he goes to investigate. Turns out the entire town in which she went to has put up a wall and nobody knows what the heck is going on with it. It's just shut down. No one's been coming in or out. So that's weird. So he goes over there as Iron Man and easily like digs under the wall with his iron suit. And he finds that the entire population of the town is worshiping this big statue of like this Neanderthal. And they call him Gargantus, I think, or Gigantus. I think it's Gargantus. I think, yeah, Gargantus. Because that's harder to say. Gargantus. And they see Iron Man and they go, no, we love Gargantus. We hate anybody else. And they start throwing garbage and, you know, bricks and cans and DVDs and stuff at him. And he just runs away. Or no, he knocks over the statue in an attempt to like break them of the spell. That's clearly a spell. Because unlike Thor, he doesn't go right to it. They must be somebody else. He thinks hypnotism instead. He knocks over the statue and breaks it. That doesn't work. They just get madder. So he like jumps up to the top of a building or possibly flies up to the top of a building. I'm not sure. We can get into that. And 
he like takes over the radio airwaves or the announcement airwaves or whatever of the city with his armor and pretty much calls out Gigantor. Shoot, that's not his name, is it? Gargantor. Gargantor. <laughs> I, I forget already. I'm going to call him Gigantor. That's easier to say. Um, Gargantor. And Gargantor comes out from wherever he's hiding. He grabs onto a flagpole, bends it, and then like springs himself up to the top of the roof. And they have this fight, but it's kind of weird because even though they're technically fighting, really all we get of the story is like Iron Man thinking a lot. And here's the things he thinks about. He thinks about how like Gargantor's eyes are really big. So probably that's what he used to hypnotize the city because when sun reflects into big eyeballs, they can hypnotize people. That's his theory. But then he looks up and he sees a big black cloud and he goes, but wait, there's no sun. So how could he use the sun's beam to hypnotize anybody? And then he like breaks off a flagpole and holds it up to test for wind on the flag. All this is going on while he's supposedly fighting, but there's really no blows being traded as far as I can tell. Anyway, those three things like, you know, he does a Sherlock Holmes and figures out the problem and jumps off the uh, building. Uh, Gargantor jumps off after him. And he lures him into place and then like he surrounds him with three uh, of his like transistor powered magnets. He like triangulates them around the the big monster and uses magnetism to rip Gargantor into pieces. Um, But before you cry, kids, it turns out Gargantor isn't a human, not flesh and blood. He's a robot. And the whole city like snaps out of their hypnotism and they kind of gasped and they go, Iron Man, what's going on? Explain everything. So he does. Basically, he decided that he noticed the cloud, but the cloud wasn't moving, even though it was windy enough to move the flag. So therefore, there must be something in the cloud. So he shines his power chest spotlight up there and he sees an alien ship who was powering Gargantor. Mm -hmm. And so then he throws his magnets at the ship and the ship, having seen what he's already done to their robot freak out it's like two little green alien dudes that don't have names yeah it's like bert and ernie bert and ernie just- essentially and they're like let's get the hell out of here and they like fly away and kind of comment about how last time they were here everybody looked like gargantor sort of and they're surprised how much humans have evolved and now of course there's apparently all these ironed humans down there and they're awesome and powerful so we better not try and take over the world and they fly away and everybody says yay iron man and then it cuts to the last panel of like his girl of the week going sorry i didn't sorry i stood you up yesterday i was kind of busy and then tony stark's like weren't we all nudge nudge wink wink the end the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> First golden armor. Let's start off with some positives. <laughs> okay. So it's interesting how the golden armor comes about. Yeah. Because like he goes to the circus with Marion mm-hmm. and the cats get free and he saves the cats. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, it's scary Iron Man. Yeah. And, and he's thinking, I built my suit. To inspire fear in bad guys, not in nice people. And I'm like, you built your suit to inspire fear? Yeah. And also... Really? You know, how does that work? How do you scare one type of people but not another? That's kind of difficult. Right. Like, um, like if you're Batman, you, but, you kind of just have to accept the fact that good guys are going to be scared of you too sometimes. Right. So try not to go scare them. Yeah. But then I think about the Mark I suit from the movie. Mm-hmm. And hell yeah, if you're walking around in that thing, that would be really scary. I'm not sure that gold plating on it would do a very good job of making it look nicer, but, you know, maybe. Yeah, I don't – I mean, it is kind of funny because he does look more superhero-y when he's gold. 
Mm-hmm. So maybe that was her point or her idea that just the fact that he's, you know, this weird robot-y looking thing that's obvious. I mean, if he's like the movie, he's lumbering around and he's really loud and he's kind of awkward and bulky. And I could see that being scary when you're in a crowd full of people and there's all these wild cats running around. And then there's like this big lugging Iron Man thing. Um, but but if you're shiny, uh, maybe well, it's nicer. Maybe, because maybe it's like putting on Superman's underwear, you know? It's like, oh, he's a good guy because he's, he's got good guy <laughs> colors now or something. Right, right. Um, it's it. This only works so that because Marion is not a recurring character. Mm-hmm. Because if a recurring character said, "Hey, I think Iron Man should do this," and Tony's like, "Okay, Iron Man might just do that," and then Iron Man does that, mm-hmm. the recurring character would be like, "Dude, don't even front." Well, I mean, in 1963, maybe they wouldn't, but they should. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't think we'd see her again, which is why I didn't bother to commit. Her name to memory. She does have a name. Uh, I just couldn't remember what it was. <laughs> but, I mean, this is the second girl in this issue that he's dating, so. Right. And let's get back to that first one. Okay, so he's at the swimming party with the girl. Mm-hmm. She's like, let's go swimming. He's like, I can't go swimming. I'm, I'm, I'm actually tired. I'm, I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I bet he has another hot day. Instead, he has to go and, like, charge his Iron Man suit because he's always wearing the chest piece now. Yeah. So just to, just to clarify... Tony Stark Playboy's sex life is now zero until he can either get rid of this Iron Man suit or confide in someone that he's Iron Man. Sex life, is that right? romantic life, any sort of life that involves no shirt or sleeveless or, you know, unbuttoned collars. Um, mm-hmm. No shower life, unless he can not be electrocuted, I guess. I don't know if he gets electrocuted when he's underwater as Iron Man, but at this point. But like, uh, yeah, it seems awfully inconvenient. Um, did we talk last time about how the shrapnel is actually still in his heart? Yeah, that it makes no sense. Yeah. That essentially this chess piece is a pacemaker that's pumping his heart full of shrapnel. Because otherwise his heart would be dead. So it's pumping heart that has razor blades in it. Yeah, that's that's bad. Mm-hmm. And there are times where like he's going to get heart pain, which is his signal to recharge. And I never really understood why that would be like... If it's working, it's working. If it's not, it's not. But then I thought about, okay, if you have like a little handheld battery-operated light mm-hmm. or a or a fan and the battery is starting to run low, your light's going to get dimmer or your fan's going to get weaker. And that could interpret in his setup as pain on the heart. Yeah. So, they already established in the last appearance that like towards the end of his fight, he was running slower and lower. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's starting to hurt. Maybe it's not an on-off situation. It's just like a you know his his he's his power's draining. Yeah, um, he's got that his, he's got that iPhone thing that says we're going into low power mode now. <laughs> he fights a mad scientist in this issue uh-huh. in like a flashback scene. I want to put a pin in this uh-huh. until we get to the next suspense issue. Okay, but it's an awesome panel. Two panels. It is a great scene. Yeah, it really is. And I like this idea that he's having these adventures, you know, without us, you know. Right. Like he's our. He has his first golden adventure without us. He does. Yep. He paints gold and then he comes back from an Iron Man adventure to find that his uh, girlfriend's been missing. Oh. Or that her town is, you know. Yeah. All locked up. He's like, sorry, gosh, I haven't seen an American paper in a week. I just got back from Africa after completing a mission for Iron Man. Okay, wow. You're right. So we don't actually oh get gosh. to see 
Which is kind of weird because they have this setup of like your your you know your gunmetal suit is scary. Mm-hmm. Paint it gold, it'll be less scary. We don't actually see the payoff of that. So when John Wilson complains about the MCU and how we never get to see like Pepper Potts and him dating and breaking up and then getting back together again, there's precedent. <laughs> From the very beginning, most of Iron Man stuff happens off camera. Yes. I was listening to that today. <laughs> um, you were talking about how his suit just kind of crumples up. And it's like the transistor-powered crumpling. And I don't know what the transistor power has to do with the That's, fabric being able to fold. It's like his other word for magnets, I guess. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Um, it's, not a, it's not a very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Dynamic look to have him pull out these crumpled pieces of armor and like straighten them out. That just doesn't seem very exciting. No. Like compared to other ways you could suit up. And he's like just putting on his pants and strapping his buckle and got to get my shoe on. Yeah. And as far as the actual Gargantus fight, I have nothing to say. You know, those evil alien robots. There's that's what was Um, weird is there's not a fight, right? There's all this like, you know, him speculating about things and coming up with a solution. But like, there's one swing that Gargantua Gargantus misses because he's already jumping off the building again. But he does all this exposition in his head about what's going on. Um, and then he turns the robot. And there's apart. no fight. But right before that, so do you think he the, – here we go with the Hulk thing again. Was he flying? Is he jumping? Or the Superman thing? Is he flying? Is he jumping? It totally looks like he's flying to me. Iron Man? Or Iron Man. When he goes to the top of the roof, it says whoosh. And he's got his hands up. But he doesn't say yeah, one way or um, the other. And there's no flames coming out of his boots. Right. There's only one way to learn the answer. I must find blah, blah, blah. Then as Iron Man soars through the air. So that's got to be flying. I guess he flies. Yeah, I guess he uh, has like little, that's, little, you know, you know if that jets If that's something. flying, then let's all mark that down. Tails of Suspense number 40, first time Iron Man flies. Right. Uh, he did hide on the ceiling last issue. Maybe he flew up to the ceiling. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he did that this issue too, didn't or he? The f- I skipped over it probably. He might have done too. He really yeah. likes those suction cups. But um, yeah, yeah, the the aliens are ridiculous, and they are in exactly one panel. No, I'm two, sorry, two panels, yep. just two guys, and they fly away. Two guys, and I don't even know what they're there for exactly. Their ancestors explored it eighty thousand years ago. It's no longer peopled by creatures like Gargantus, which, by the way, it never was because he's like thirty feet tall. But okay, right. We could control the ordinary inhabitants through mass hypnosis, but like they're just taking over this one town. And through sun glare in a robot's eyes, that <sighs> sun glare is not hypnotic. It's annoying. Yeah, that's just weird. I would have liked a better fight. Like if Gargantus is a robot, like why not have him get her in a really good fist fight or something? But it was just kind of nothing. Well, on that downer, we have not hit an hour yet. Okay. What's next? So you know what that means? That means we could do one more? We can do one more. I could do it. See, this is this is kind of how I envision the show sort of going. Like, we'd spend a lot of time on Fantastic Four. And then the smaller stories, until they get, like, really interesting, the smaller stories are just kind of there. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's like Iron Man is new, so he's kind of interesting for us. This is only a second Iron Man, but the story was Have so we good. had this happen before where it starts out kind of cool and the second story is really dumb? Yeah. Thor. Second yeah. story was him going okay. – to the commies and like having to do the secret identity juggle game over it. And the Hulk with the toad men. Yeah. So yeah, this happens all the time. It starts out exciting with an origin and then. Okay. Well, we'll, um, we'll, 
it's worth pointing out though that Iron Man was the first superhero comic I started reading when I got back into superhero comics because of the movie. So this because of the movie. So this for, this run of tales of suspense um, was one of the first reading projects I had getting back into comics. And I think next episode, we you know Captain America finally shows up, right? What what what? No, what? that's not true, is it? We have like eighteen more issues before that happens. <laughs> yeah, not even the fake Captain America uh, comes for a while. <sighs> that's the only reason I'm doing this show. When the heck does he show up? Come on. Yeah, I, c- I can't tell you. I'm All sorry. right, it's going to be a while. Meantime, speaking of Captain America, how about one of Captain America's old World War II buddies? The Submariner versus the Human Torch. Just the wrong one. Yeah. Yeah, so so before you give the synopsis on this, just... No, you. Oh, is this me? Yes. I just oh, did that crap. awesome Iron Man synopsis. You did that awesome Iron Man synopsis. That's right. So, okay. The last time we saw the Submariner, he tried to make a movie out of the Fantastic Four mm-hmm. as a gambit for Sue's affections. So, yeah. of course, this issue, um, they're really trying to evoke the old 1940s clashes between Namor and the Human Torch as far as the cover goes. Mm-hmm. Um, the most famous of those was Marvel Mystery Comics 8 and 9. Um, we'll have to see if this holds up. It's, uh, it's going to be an interesting journey. <laughs> yeah. This is this is what spawns the entire Fire and Water podcast network, right? <laughs> this is it right here. <laughs> Sorry, Rob and Jack. Um, all right. So Johnny gets out of school and he sees a Fantastic Four. They're like, yeah, we were just, you know, talking to Stan and Jack about the next Fantastic Four. She's like, dudes, I was wanting to be there. Y'all always doing important stuff without me. I, he's like, don't you even talk about dropping the team again. Johnny's like, I'm not going to drop the team again. <laughs> Might drop the team again. So um, he decides, you know what? I want to be cool. So I think I will go fight a bad guy. And then the team will love me. And I think, hmm, <gasps> the Submariner. Yeah, because he hasn't totally beat my ass every single time we've fought before. <laughs> so, um, yeah, fire versus water. It'll be great. And he flies out the window and Sue's like, huh, I wonder where my brother's going. He must go hang out with his friends to make, playing with cars. So Johnny goes on a boat that is trying to get out to the ocean. He figures that's the easiest way to get to the Submariner. Um, they don't think that he's actually the human torch. They start making him swab decks and then they get far enough out there that he's like, yep, I'm the torch. And, oh, it's foggy. I will make some fireballs. So you can see, and I'll make some fire letters over the water. Namor, I want to fight you. Come find me. And Namor's like, oh, one of my flying fish has had its wings singed. What's going on on the surface? Sees the words, human torch. Nope. Not going to fight him. I love his sister. Not going to do it. Nope. 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 Goes outside, torch. Not going to fight you. Torch is like, fire! And then was like, oh, we're going to fight. It's on. I don't care if you have a sister. So they fight, fight, fight. Run, run, run. Run, 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 run. Fight, fight, fight. And um, I guess what saves the day is that Johnny decides he's going to go Nova Blast. He's going to turn to the heat of an exploding star. So he does this, and the entire planet Earth <laughs> melts to a cinder. <laughs> Um, and we're done with this podcast, dies. guys. That was it. The podcast is over because we died in 1963. <laughs> <laughs> with freaking Johnny Storm. Um, no, he does not. Whatever he does for a Nova Blast, it's not actually a Nova. It can, he can have the cool nickname. That's okay. Yeah. Call it, call it a Nova Blast, Johnny. That's fine. It is not actually as hot as an exploding star. I am sorry. 
but he goes into the water and he's so hot that he can just go through the water because it's evaporating as he goes through it. Forming a little steam bubble in that he says he can breathe, but you can't breathe steam. Um, and he goes and he basically scares Namor down into a cave and like locks him in the cave and puts a boulder on top and flies away and goes to sleep in the house. Yeah. And Namor gets out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and there's a thing in the end about Namor's like, you know what? That wasn't too bad. He actually did a pretty good idea. He had did a pretty good job. Someday I might team up with that torch. I take over the world together. That'd be fun. And his sister's cute. I yeah. yeah. I like Namor in this story. I think Johnny's a dummy, but he's he's mm-hmm. consistently been a dummy, so I guess it's consistent that he continues to be a dummy. Mm-hmm. Um I can't just blame it on youth anymore. I used to think, oh, that's just how they're writing it. But I feel like if Rick Jones was hanging around with Johnny Storm, he'd hate Johnny Storm too. In fact, we right. kind of saw that maybe a little bit, slightly. I was thinking about that, yeah. Fantastic 412. They like, did not think well of each It's like other. when I feel bad, I form the team brigade, the team brigade and save the, you, the earth. And when you feel bad, you pick fights with people that don't want to fight you. Yeah, okay. So just to compare setups, in the original Namor Torch scrap, the Submariner had been spurned by humanity and was taking his revenge. He was doing the whole unbalanced personality you were talking about from John Byrne, mm-hmm. but only, you know, in 1940. And um, he starts, like, really seriously thrashing New York because humanity has, you know, done him wrong. And so they send the torch out to stop him. And there's this big fight that, you know, wrecks New York and everything. Here, Human Torch is bored. Mm-hmm. Wants to fight. wants to fight someone. I'm a boy- a teenage boy will fight someone. See, this story doesn't make it into Marvels, but the original one does. Which one do you think is better, kids? <laughs> really? Please write in really? to podcast at makeoutsmarvel.com. <laughs> so the Fantastic Three are kind of jerky here. Like, you've got a 16-year-old kid on your team, and you don't bring him to the Marvel offices to pitch ideas to Stanley and Jack Kirby? Right? That's not very nice. Like, that's the one job you should make sure he gets to go to. Maybe... And Maybe like, make him in charge of that so you don't have to stop your scientific rocket building every time Stanley needs a new idea. Reed is secretly a comics junkie. Apparently he is because he gives a lot of weight to the Marvel offices. And you got to think, Johnny's been going to school this entire time. How much cool Fantastic Four stuff do the Fantastic Four do with Johnny left at school? Apparently a lot. Kids are at school. Yeah. Let's go uh, Let's go fight let's, some Let's scrolls. go to this Phantom Zone I, I discovered but I haven't told anybody about yet. Right. Negative zone? Negative zone, yeah. Phantom zone, Superman. Phantom. Whoops. Right. Oops. <laughs> he discovers that. Yeah, too. I'm sure he did. <laughs> um, but yeah, and Ben was having a bad day. Always complaining. Always jerking around. Stupid kid. Um, Sue still has a picture of Submariner on her mantle. We wondered about that mm. because we thought maybe after the movie shenanigans and him trying to like kind of, eh, you know, be a little forceful with her towards the end and maybe like kill her friends and teammates and stuff that like she wouldn't be into him anymore, but no, but she still is. And it could be to just inform the plot, but he talks about it later. Yeah. That, you know, I still love Sue. So yeah. Um, in fact, seeing that picture is what inspires Johnny. Hey, this is Mary. Mm-hmm. I like that. He's looking in the uh, fish tank while he's flaming on as if that's his, it'll be just like that. <laughs> I'll just the method acting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's um, his 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 flame offs are so random. Like, what does he do? He he comes home from school, so he hasn't been doing human torchy things that I know of. Um, he flames on, flies out into the ocean, and loses power. 
thank God there's a boat there. He'd be dead, essentially. Um, yeah, okay, so I got mixed up on why he landed on the boat. He landed on the boat because he ran out of flame and, oh, look, there's a boat there. Better land there. Right. And then later, he fights the Human Torch for, like, probably 16 hours, goes supernova, and still has flame. So, like, right. why – he needs, like, an energy bar or something so we could, like, tell when he's going to lose his stuff. A spotometer. Yeah. It is, yeah, it is one of the least consistent things mm-hmm. about all of the stories we're I guess right his now. whole power is pretty inconsistent at this point. But uh, it's all over the place, yeah. I didn't have a whole lot no. on this. Um, Namor turns into a puffer fish at one point, which I thought was really bizarre. <laughs> so right now he's like the animal man of the sea. Yeah. It's kind of annoying. I think that goes away. I think maybe the electricity stays because um, he's shown that he can shoot things like an electric eel. But yeah. I just read a New Warriors Spider-Man story today and Name Marita is like, as a true submariner, I can do electrical things. And she does electrical things. Okay, yeah. But the pufferfish thing is really stupid. One, how does that even help? You're about to run into a mountain so you make yourself bigger. That just means you're going to still splat. But two, it looks super silly to have him like blow up like the blob and punch through this wall. Um, But I, I do think that I like... Submariner, I, th- I said that already. I like Submariner in this issue because I feel like he's sort of just humoring uh, Johnny. Like to him, it's mm-hmm. sort of annoying, but also maybe fun to get into a fight. And yeah. Johnny's like really hell bent on like defeating this dangerous evil foe. And he's more like, kid, go home. You don't want to start anything. And then like they kind of trade a few jabs in the garage. And the next thing you know, the wrestling gets a little intense. But still at the end of the day, Submariner is probably not going to lose. Or be killed, <laughs> you know? I liked that. I like that personality. Um, Submariner's kind of in this weird phase right now where he's not really a villain anymore, but he's not really a good guy either um, in the Fantastic Four and now in this book. Right. I like that. I kind of hope they keep going with that. I think he's going to end up being a baddie again eventually, but... I mean, he, yeah, he's actually the topic of our next Fantastic Four issue, so... Yeah. Oh, that's we'll right. Yeah, Him I'm- and the Puppet Master. I'm sure that that's totally going to mention this story too. Yeah. Which I guess this story might have to take place before the Fantastic Four issue we just talked about because that one leads directly into Whoops. Um, 13. Rewind. That's it. Well, they, were, they came out several weeks. Oh. So maybe, maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't. No, well, according to Mike's, they did. According to Mike's, they did. Um, yeah, the Submariner wants to team up with Johnny at the end. And like, they just did that with the Acrobat. Wasn't too successful. Um, and yeah, that's the only other continuity note. I had one other story note. A problem I had with the story flow is that whenever Namor and Johnny both fall into the water, uh-huh. it says that Namor touches Johnny, but he's still really hot. Uh-huh. And I call BS because when something hot is submerged in water, the dissipation of heat is pretty near instantaneous. Like you put a hot pan in water, it's a cold pan. Yeah. Um, eh. And also, also... On the bottom panel of page 10, he says, and now, because I wasn't submerged long enough to saturate my body too much, and I'm like, Mm. okay, yeah, because all those clothes that you put underwater and you take them out before they're soaked through, um, that happens. Unstable molecules. It's unstable molecules. You're right. But, you know, prior to this, anytime someone had a teacup full of water and threw it on him, he'd be toast for the issue so <laughs> it is kind of weird that suddenly right. he can fall into the ocean and still be a formidable foe to a guy who's supposed to be as powerful as the hulk in the ocean you know um and you mentioned the whole like him getting so hot that when he flies in the water and chases after 
namer. Like he's like, uh, what is he? Uh, why can't I find the word? Help me out here. You know, uh, he's he's boiling the water. Essentially, he's going supernova and oh, evaporating. evaporating. Yeah. Thank you. That's the word. He's evaporating in the water. But wouldn't that also like just kill any sort of oxygen and and uh, you know he should just be dying or something. Yeah, yeah. I mentioned he, he, if you're if you're in okay, and you're in water, and you are so hot that you are turning it into steam. There is no breathable air. Right. It is. It is still water. It's just less dense water. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he wouldn't actually be able to breathe in that pocket of so-called air. No. Um, and then also, like you said, supernova. Good thing Johnny said it. It wasn't a caption, so it's not fact. Johnny says right. that he matches the heat of an exploding sun. So he could just be a dumb braggart. But, uh, yeah, he would kill us all if he did that. <laughs> now, on the last page, we see Susan Storm. She sees Johnny sleeping. And she it says, when Sue returns from an overnight visit with a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, this caption intrigues me. <laughs> okay. Well, it just it illustrates how short a shrift Sue is getting right now. She has friends. Yeah. And she still sees them, and she still hangs out with uh-huh. them. Even after this whole FF thing has become part of her life. But do we ever learn about any of her friends? No. no. Or why she and Johnny live in this house, and they could be living all together in the building. Right. Yeah. It's just all the stuff about life that we don't know about Susan Storm that, you know, we know that we know that we've seen Johnny's friends. We know that he goes and hangs out and does auto stuff with them. Yeah. Maybe they also get hot dogs and maybe one of them really likes milkshakes with caramel. I don't know, but at least we know something about their friendship. We don't know anything about their um, parents because Johnny's a minor. Yeah. The parents have not been mentioned once yet. And we are going to get the dad eventually okay. in the pretty near future. Oh, well, not near future for our time frame, but you know, relatively near future for the history of comics. Um, but yeah, I like I like that she's involved in most of these issues though, even if it's just in passing. Like, yeah. like he, she's taking care of him, so that's one of the things he has to get around. Is like, I hope mom doesn't realize I'm going to go attack the submariner for no reason, you know. And she's just like, boys will be boys, but so it's like not really great for her character development. But it's cool that she's just like part of the cast of this solo book. And at the end of the day, like you said, the Namor stuff was pretty fun. Sue is there. Johnny is. Dumb, but the action is still pretty fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, and there's a lot of comics dumbness, but it's it's just still a fun story. So um, and, I was pretty. And Namer doesn't remember his previous fight with a Human Torch. At least not enough to mention. So it. they're not they're not willing to go that far back yet. They're willing to have Namer, um, and they're going to evoke the old fight, mm-hmm. but they're not going to reference, not gonna the reference it yet. They've never referenced. And I think there were multiple uh, Human Torch. By the Human Torch, as far as I know. Yeah. Yeah, we don't have any existence of the original Human Torch mentioned yet by either one of them. Right. Um, and I think there were multiple Namor Torch fights. I just think there's that one that's really com- really commonly referenced and really famous. Yeah, the first one. Right. Um, but that brings us to the end of January. All right. So should we do our thingies? Our tops and bottoms? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, that sounds very Austin Powers. Tops and bottoms. <laughs> I like the phrase yeah. because it is such, you know, it's, it, it, do you really want to say it that way, John? Yes, I do. That's exactly how I want to say it. So we have um, Carbon Copy Man, the Zartans, with Thor. Mm-hmm. 
We have the Metal Master versus the Hulk. Mm-hmm. We have the Red Ghost and his Super Apes versus the Fantastic Four. We have the Voice versus Ant-Man. We have Iron Man versus Gargantua. Gargantus, sorry. <laughs> and Torch versus Submariner. Yes. Favorite? I'll give you least favorite. What's your least favorite? Journey into Mystery number 90. Yes. Bad art. Ridiculously unsupportable plot. Uh, yeah, it was just all kinds of dumb. Tales to Astonish 42 had really good art yes. for a really pedestrian, for a really, you know, kind of silly story. Uh-huh. Um, I think Iron Man is probably a contender for worst as well because, but there's, a, there's, a, there's a, the basic core idea of that story with Gargantus is ridiculous, but there's a lot of other stuff going on in that issue that makes, that's worth, mm-hmm. you know, I like all the, the cat- I like the beginning stuff. A lot. Yeah. And, uh, of course, this is only his second appearance, so he's not tired yet. So we are both going to choose Thor for our least loved story of the month. Yeah. What is your most loved story for the month? <sighs> this one's tough because I can't decide if I want to choose art over substance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm going to choose art over substance because otherwise I rarely pick an Ant-Man story. So I'm going to say Tales to Astonish 42. Simply because I you, love the art that much. I do think it's amazing. You go. That is great. I love it. They were pretty Ant-Man. Um, I'm actually going to go with the Hulk. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, the Fantastic Four You remember story that he had a Bruce Banner head, right? It was funny. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, as soon as I realized that the story was intended to be funny, it became so much better. Wow. Like if yeah. as soon as I stopped taking it seriously as a Hulk story and just like took it as a bit of an over the top farcical story, I was like, this is great. So, um, yes. Okay. See, yes, for I'm me, gonna it was going to be tales or fantastic four. So interesting. Right. And fantastic four had the watcher. In yeah. It, but there's so much else in that. Yeah. Just, the red ghost. is I not don't great. like no, space I race like is them. not great. The blue area is cool, but it's going to be a long time before that becomes anything real. But it was still cool. Visually, it was neat. This idea that there's this abandoned city on the moon is neat. Mm -hmm. But yeah, okay. So I went for, uh, you went for comedy. I went for art. There we go. And only our listeners can know for sure. (laughs) And you should tell us, listeners. Maybe one of the things you're writing about. What was your favorite story this month? Why did you like, um, why did you really enjoy that Thor story? I mean, come on. Seriously, what was, what made you like that? Speaking of polls, because we talked about in our awesome not comic special doing a poll for like Uh what's the next not comics thing we should cover. What if we did a poll on every episode? Like, what was your, or no, for every, at the end of every month on our site and said, what was your favorite out of these or least favorite or something? That'd be cool. Ooh, we could do a uh, vote in the um, the Twitter. Or that, yeah. Does Twitter do voting things? Yeah, you can only have four options at a time, though, so that mm. puts a little bit of a hamper on it. If you want to do like an actual like select an option type of thing. By the way, just to make this episode last longer, I forgot to say when we were covering Tales, of, Tales to Astonish with the awesome art mm-hmm. that I don't normally read other stories in those books, but there is a story called I Am Not Human by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko that yeah. got my attention, and I read it, and it was like about this guy who invents a robot, and then the robot wants to be more. So while the inventor's sleeping, he fabricates skin for himself um, and goes out into the world and then finds out that we all suck 
because we're greedy and liars and, you know, humans. And then he goes home defeated and the scientist is like, ha, I knew you'd come back. No robot could ever try and be a human, right? And he's like, no robot should ever want to be a human. And that's how it ended. Oh, and it was just like, yeah. dang, that was a cool story. Yeah. Um, I don't – I don't – since I'm going through the, uh, the comicsology collections, I don't have those backups. But I did read that backup. We did that for Avengers Inspirations. That was a good it story. It was. And I'm wondering if that robot like ever appears again. Probably not. But that would have been neat if he did. Like if that was Machine Man or something. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Machine Man. Yeah. I don't know. That's just – normally we don't talk about the backstories. But that was a good one. Oh, Machine Man. That means when we're old and gray, we get to talk about 2001 A Space Odyssey. Do we? Machine Man came from the 2001 A Space Odyssey comic. Really? Yeah. Like the adaptation of the movie? Yeah. I did not know that. How did that I don't, happen? I don't know exactly how it works out. Like, I don't know if there's like the comic continues past the events of the movie or what, but Machine Man is linked to the 2001 comic somehow, somewhere. That is weird. Yeah, right? I only know him from Earth X. Oh, which- I know him from... What do I know him from? Was he a friend of Ms. Marvel's? I don't know. He had his own comic. I never read much of that. I think Steve Ditko worked on that. Hmm. Um, anyways, so... That was a derailment. You but- should write us and, <laughs> and, and and tell us things about comics. Tell us what are some of the things about these comic stories that, uh, you know, retcons that happen later yeah. that, you know, or what's your favorite story from this month? And if you ever want to know what... You know, how, what all comes out a particular month, since we don't really start and end it a month all the time, mikesamazingworld.com. Click the newsstand link, and then you can just, like, change your filters. Marvel Comics on sale in January 1963, and you'll see all the comics we cover this mm-hmm. month, plus a lot of others we didn't, because we're not doing love romances. And what's coming next week, so that you can read ahead and be with us. Oh, yeah. That's an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so... And if they wanted to write us, where could they do that? They can do that at makearsmarvel.com. There's a form there. Or you could just write directly to podcast at makearsmarvel.com. Website has all the fun stuff you need, like, you know, the feeds and the social media links and images from the show. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. All right. Well, until the Watcher, you know, dies, make ours marvel. marvel.